Welcome to the Mindfulness Academy podcast. I'm your host, Amy Morgan. And on today's show, we have Laura Henderson. Hi, Laura. Hi, hi. Hello. I want to let you know a little bit about Laura. Laura received a Bachelor of Arts in Sociology, a Master's in Organizational Management from Ashford University, and is a graduate of the Chaplaincy Training Institute. She is the owner of Beautiful Minds, where she teaches mindfulness breathing, and meditation techniques to aid in stress, anxiety, anger, and many other daily challenges in finding your peace. Laura hosted the weekly internet radio show, Let's Talk About It, Mental Health Out in the Open, for over two years, which sought to remove the stigma associated with seeking and receiving help. Laura's work history spans years of managing social and community service programs, providing direction for homeless families, individuals with challenging mental health issues, and those struggling with substance abuse. As the director of the AmeriCorps program, she led the first street outreach program for Horizon House. Her work has garnered a number of awards and a feature in the Indianapolis Star. Welcome, Laura. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here with you. I am too. And I'm so excited for our conversation today. I always like to open the podcast with a little bit about our connection. I don't just find these people out, out on the street that, that we have some sort of background connection. And as is the case with a number of folks who've come on the show, you come through one of my favorite people, Robert Ola Miller. Absolutely. He's, a, he's wonderful. He's just an exceptional individual. He is. He is. He is. He has been such an instrumental part of my mindfulness journey. And when he says... You might consider having this person on the show. I am quick to listen because he has a really good eye for folks who have a lot to contribute to the conversation. So how how do you know Robert? Well, I met him through someone else um, and uh, we just uh, got a connection from there. I did a mindfulness um, session um, with him at an, uh, an agency for reentry. And because I've worked in the prison and um, he um, that's one of his passions is about the mindfulness in prison. And so we've talked about that and, you know, how how will that look? How can we get that back in, you know, get it in as a daily part um, of some courses for uh, the individuals in prison? Because it does work. Um, I taught at uh, one of the prisons, uh, re-entry, I taught Thinking for a Change, which is very much on the same course of, of mindfulness, so, because it all starts up here first. And so um, we've talked about that, and I just love to be in conversation with him. He's such a wonderful person, and he just really has this in heart for people to learn. He really does. I would like to know a little bit more about you. I know you have a really interesting background and a beautiful story. I'm wondering if you could tell us where you grew up, what what your family was like growing up, um, any kind of work or informational background. Um, Absolutely. Let us know who, who is Laura Henderson. <laughs> well, she had a journey to get to this person here today. I tell you that. And I used to um, 
kind of be um, shy about telling it or sharing it um, because I didn't think it was such a great story. But then I've met so many youth and so many uh, young ladies that are struggling trying to find their way because maybe they were adopted out or they've been in foster care. And so that's my story. And I tell them my story. And um, I tell them, you know, I remember I was six years old when I left. I had to leave my mother's house. And I came from Marion, Indiana. I couldn't even see out of the car, but I just remember the corn field coming to Indianapolis. I didn't know where I was going. Um, and so it, it was, it's not a good journey until I found, I got adopted and um, I couldn't have gotten a better family if I chose them myself. But because I knew my mom, I knew my uh, brother, um, I always had that yearning to be with them. And um, so I struggled with where I was at. So that made life very hard. And that's what I see with young people today. They may be in a good placement, a great placement, but they struggle because they know that they came from someplace else. Now for my adopted mother, she wouldn't tell, she wouldn't share with me about my other family. Um, and it was just a yearning and a burning in me. If I just could know, you know, it's like Christmas in that box. If I could just know what's in there and she wouldn't do it. And I, I be, believe to this day, rest her soul. She's a beautiful woman. She did everything for me, but I did not get that. And that was one thing that I was yearning for. And so I understand that with youth and sometimes they're struggling so hard and they don't understand why they're struggling hard. Well, come to find out, you know, they've been through the system, things have happened and how do we move on from that? And I had to do that for myself, teach myself how to do that. Um, and then I got to college and became interested in psychology and mental health and some things I was reading, I was like, hey, that's me, that's me, that's what's happened to me, you know? And um, this is how I have grown to become this individual I was. And um, it helped also as a mother, because I have two children, um, I had to know about myself and some of my triggers um, to be able to not pass those on to my children. So it's a journey, I tell you, um, learning yourself, um, learning who you are. Now, um, this person I am today, I wish I knew that person back then. I wish I knew how to breathe back then and say, you know what, just take some time out. It's going to be okay because if it was meant for you, you're going to get there. Um, my grandmother uh, told me that I had to go to school. I used to stay home with my grandmother. And so uh, time came to go to school. And so I said, I didn't want to go because I had the fear of leaving her and not being able to come back because that's what happened to me as a child. And she said, well, I had to because I had to learn my name. I had to learn how to write my name, my phone number and my address. And when I did that at school, I was done. I wasn't going back. <laughs> and she had a hard time convincing me to go back. So I had a beautiful kindergarten teacher named Miss Fields at School 44. She made me love her class, but I didn't like school um, because I always had the fear my home was going to be gone when I got back. And I struggled with school. I didn't want to be there. Um, and if someone had told me later in life that I would have went back to school to, to get a bachelor's or a master's, to go back to school, period, I would have said, not me, not me, but I did. And um because I, it needed, I needed that piece of my life to do what I wanted to do for other people and to be with other people. Not necessarily that I got the certificate that said I earned the master's or the bachelor's. It was, I did, well, I was working with the homeless. Here's the truth of the story. I was working with the homeless 
And um, I didn't have a bachelor's at that time. I was a community health worker. And um, um, all of a sudden, after five years of working with them, you had to have a bachelor's in order to do the job I was doing. So that forced me to go back to school because I loved what I was doing. And um, so then from there, I just went on. I, I found a love in school and I went on and did that. And I take courses all the time now. If my grandmother could be here, she would not believe this was me. I take courses all the time because I love to learn now. Um, so we do change. We evolve through life. Um, things come in in our life. People come in our life to help us change that. So love all of that. Thank you for sharing that. I'm so grateful you're at a place where you can share it mm -hmm. as a way to help other people. I think sometimes we go through things, even very painful, difficult things on our journey. And I think sometimes those are used to bless others, to help Absolutely. others along the path. And that's mm -hmm. the blessing that comes out of it. You wear a lot of hats. In fact, I, I know that I trimmed down your bio significantly because you have done so much to give back. You definitely have a heart of service and generosity. I'm wondering if you would give us a little bit of a summary of some of the things that you're up to these days. I know you have beautiful minds, your business. So I'd like to hear a little bit more about that. I know you have CAPS, uh, the recovery home for men, primarily um, veterans, I believe Absolutely. that you said. Um, I definitely am interested in hearing about that. If there's anything else you want to talk about, go for um, it. Well, I work part-time for a national church residency and um, uh, they have a small community that um, works, um, that houses individuals that um, have a diagnosis of HIV or AIDS. So I work there as their service coordinator, um, resource, resource coordinator there, I'm sorry. And then at my church, I'm the service coordinator and I help on um, Thursdays, we have a feeding ministry. And so I go over if, and if anyone is in, in there that needs some type of services, um, needs to a job, a G, you know, GED or uh, their resume or whatever, I work with them. Uh, it could be healthcare, mental health. I'm there also just to kind of, uh, be the host and the guest when they come, you know, to greet the guests when they come in, because everybody um, isn't kind to people with uh, mental health challenges. And um, a lot of people think they're putting on, maybe, maybe not, who are we to choose and judge. And um, so I just greet them and I greet them to whoever, whoever they want to be today is fine with me. I worked in Louisville, for seven years on the streets with unmedicated homeless. And my, my job was to um, befriend them in a manner that, that would get them to come in and start accepting services so that I could get them housed. I love that job dearly. Um, it was a grant. And as with most my jobs, my resume could probably be as long as, as your wall there or as wide um, because I worked on a lot of grants. Um, my good friend, uh, Lena Hackett, who used to, she was my boss in the beginning, hired me for um, uh, homeless, not the homeless initiative, I'm sorry. She hired me for the HIP program. Um, and so we were downtown then, we were a small agency. We, it was five, maybe five or six of us. And um, we had a little small building, a little small building for Horizon House at that time. Uh, so as things do, we grew, um, we expanded, we became um, 
partnered with Methodists in a manner. Um, then Horizon House had outgrew their spot. And uh, we got another spot, but the doctor um, and I would deliver services on the street on Fridays. I would um, work with the homeless pregnant women and he would work with the men. And then um, we would try to get them to come to Horizon House or go to other places if they needed services. Uh, Mrs. O'Bannon, um, at the time, Governor O'Bannon's wife, she wanted a AmeriCorps program. Um, and uh, she wanted him to deliver services on the street. And so I was chosen to learn that program. I was sent to Washington, D.C., and I learned the miracle program, and I came back and created that at Horizon House. Um, she told me to hire whoever that was going to be able to help me and knew the knowledge of the streets and could we could get into these homeless camps. And my very first person, um, the application at the bottom, it said... Um, have you ever been arrested? And it says, yes, you know, and then it says, for what? And it said murder. And uh, I, my face kind of did like that because I was not expecting that to be my first one. And I was like, oh, okay. So then I, you know, had to kind of do a little mindfulness. I didn't know about it at that time, but I had to kind of, you know, breathe and change all of my facial. And I, so we talked about it. We'll come to find out um, the charge was there, but he was wrongfully charged. So that you can't write all that out on the paperwork. And when he told me about the story and everything, I remember Russ McQuaid from Fox 59 following this story. Um, I was told um, by my peers not to hire him. Oh, not the first one, because you don't want that. And, then, and I said, no, that's not what I said. I said I would. And I tell you that to say, um, never discount people. Um, people bring good things. You just don't know what you do for someone. Um, her, this Horizon House has been open for over 20 years now. He was my first hire. The individuals that told me or suggested for me not to hire him because of his criminal history background, they were long gone. I was long gone. He just retired last year after 20 years. Are you kidding me? After 20 years. And, you know, he was so grateful to me, but I was grateful that I was able to be able to be in that position to give him that. And, um, you know, so just watching him and being able to do that taught me so much about people. And you have to read more than what's on the paper sometimes. You only get a small portion of a line on the piece of paper, but do that. And Russ McQuaid did a couple of stories on us. Um, I think the title of it was called You Could Be Me. Um, and, uh, gave the whole story about how he, you know, was incarcerated for these charges and lost everything. And then he was released. Go live your life now, you know? Um, and so he goes with me at times at various places and tells his story now. Um, he's a little disabled now, but he still loves to tell and share the story of how he got to where he is today. And so just being able to do that with individuals on the street, my heart, um, loves to work on the street with homeless and um, those disadvantaged. But the goal is to be able to see them and help them find their way and know that, you know what, I was created for more than what I got right here, what I'm receiving right now. And when they can do that, um, Amy, I my heart sings, I you know, my the bells ring in my ears. I, I love, I have so many good stories to tell you about individuals that just needed somebody to ask every day, how you doing? We're going to do this today. You know, I met a young girl at the shelter and wanted to be a nurse, but was going to settle for a nurse's aide. 
no, ma'am, we don't settle. If that's what you want to be, that's what you want to be. And we're going to work to be it. And today, to this day, she's a grandmother now. To this day, she is RN, BSN, and runs the clinics. Hallelujah. You know, that that still, I get filled with that. It wasn't me that did the work. I just set things in motion for her to help her see that you can do this for yourself. And that's all a lot of people just need is just that hand to say, hey, yes, you can. You can do this. We can do this together. I'll help you take the first step. Um, there's uh, so much uh, smart, uh, so many smart youth out there, uh, just so knowledgeable, um, but they're stuck in a place and they don't know how to get out of it. And what I've learned and this might be going ahead, but what I've learned is that mindfulness can help you get to those places. Yes, we we certainly will delve into that as we continue our conversation. I would love for you to tell us a little bit about Beautiful Minds when that when you launched that company and what what do you do with? Well, during minds? COVID, I kept thinking, you know, there's something else I need to do for people, and I'm not sure what it is. And um, then I saw something come up about John Kabat-Zinn. And I said, mm, mindfulness, let me see what this is about. It's another opportunity to learn, but I didn't know that I was going to fall in love with it in the manner that I did. Um, it, and I just wanted more. Um, I, I don't remember my instructor's name at this time, but he was wonderful. And it, I said, oh my God, if I can do this for myself and I know so many other people that this would benefit from. So I just continued to learn about that um, and took the certification class and decided that, you know what? I wanna share this with other people. And at that time I was thinking my youth um, because they get so anxious and they live in fight or flight all the time. And so being able to teach them how to let this go, but I didn't know it was going to take on like that. And I was talking to my daughter about it. And I said, uh, well, I want to create that, create this business. And she said, well, mama, I think you should. And uh, I said, but I don't know what to call it. And she said, well, name it beautiful minds because that's what you're doing. You're working with the mind. It's already beautiful. They just need to evolve. And I said, oh, okay, I guess, but it seemed to have stuck beautiful mind. So that's what it is. My daughter named it pretty much for me, but, um, it does talk about what I'm doing though. It does address what I'm doing, creating a beautiful mind or opening it up like a tulip, um, in bloom. It was already there. I'm just helping you bloom that tulip. Um, and so, um, I just, love to read about it, read more, learn more about it. Uh, Robert loves that as well. You know, so I get that it, it from him and um, the times that I've spent with him. Um, but I, I, I added more to it just because of my mental health part. Um, because what I found out is people, they love to know something new to help themselves, but they want to know how you know how to do it. Is it for real or do you just read a book? And so, you know, I go and I explain it to them. But then the other part of it is, but I want to give you a little bit of the mental health that I've done for years. So let's work on your mind. So with youth, I we always start off with um, what I can control and what I can't because they focus on that so much um, about what the other child or other people are saying or doing or not doing when we have this big space 
And this big space is covered in our mind about everything, let's say everything that Amy's doing or everything that Amy's saying or not doing. Then we get this little small space and it's me. And we don't give ourselves all the space we need. We need to reverse that. We need to be the big space and take care of self and put other people in that smaller space because they assume they they uh, assume our t- our time. We're constantly thinking about them. Ah, should I wear this? Uh, what are they going to say today? I really want to sing, but they don't like how my voice sounds. You know, so we the youth focus on so much of that. So I put that with mindfulness. I like to do the guided mindfulness because I usually read them through something, um, whatever the case may be. I try to find one that um, uh, it, addresses what's happening for that class or for those individuals. So um I I don't I just got into that. Uh, like I said during during uh COVID, like every so many other people did so many other new things with life during COVID. And it's kind of stuck with me and I love it. And I love when people can really get that breath and get that breathing in there. And then I say, do you feel that? And they say, yes, I feel that. And I feel like I have given them something, you know, I was like the wizard of Oz, I, you had it all the time. And I get so excited for them when they can feel it. And I say, you feel good, don't you? And I just want to get that, you know, it's like I'm at a birthday party. I just want to get that in there, give them that big surprise, give them that big present. And then I tell them, but you had it all the time. <laughs> so you had it all the time. That seems yeah. to be your your theme, honestly, in in the time that we have spoken back and forth. It's really that you don't see that you're giving somebody something that wasn't already there. It's that it's already there. We have innate wisdom and knowledge, and you're just there to open people's yes. minds yeah. to it allow it to manifest. So I love that. I do want to talk a little bit about um, your work with the homeless. You've worked with the homeless for over 25 years. Um, Mm -hmm. Tell us about your work to help the homeless. You've touched on a little bit, but maybe talk about the, uh, the caps recovery home. Well, I I just said, I worked uh, on the streets with the homeless for 25 years. I had a transitional housing that I ran for a community a property management company here that um, had uh, special needs housing um, and from mental health to um, recovery to domestic violence um, to youth bill for uh, youth that had no place to to go. Um, and so working with the, uh, 250 scattered sites, that's that's what I had, 250. And working with those um, individuals in, in each one of those categories, what I learned was, you know what, we all just want, we want the same things. We just go about it differently. And so they, they taught me so much in those 25 years. Um, I think it might've been 30 years working with them. And um, at one point I said, I wasn't gonna do this anymore. And that's when I left and went to Kentucky. And I was there like two weeks and started doing it all over again, but because that's what I'm driven to. But um, so watching the the young mothers, um, even the people with uh, mental health challenges, and then working with those that had substance abuse, I owned this home and I was trying to decide what I was going to do with it. I wanted to do something. I thought, do I want a bigger one? Do I want a smaller one? But then going, working in all, pretty much most of the shelters here in Indianapolis at some time or another. Um, and recovery houses, they all have a time limit on it. So when you come in, you have either 28 days or you have 30 days. And um, 
what I found is people focus on that more than they do what they came there for, for either the recovery or to make a change in their lives and move out of homelessness. So the first day you step in, if it's 28, you're already down one, you know? So that's their focus. Where am I going to go? Um, so Cap's house, um, which I named after my uncle, who was the captain of police headquarters. And he taught me how to work with um, individuals, uh, homeless or disadvantaged individuals. And he created uh, what they call the coffee can fund. We didn't have um, uh, food pantries at that time. And so the officers would put money in these cans. And when they would go to someone's home or someone would call and they needed food or diapers or lights, um, the officers could use that money out of a coffee can fund. And so he, he worked on the streets. He created uh, the Dust Bowl. Um, he did a lot of different things here to help people. Um, and so he just, that was my adopted mother's uh, brother, but he was mine. You know, I felt like he was mine. And um, I just learned that from him. And I didn't know it that I was carrying on his, uh, his uh, legacy when he passed. And so when I opened the house, I said, I'm just going to name it after him. And so I just call it Cap's house because that's what everybody called him, Cap. Hey, Cap. And I have his picture there and I have his, some news articles so the guys can read why I named it Cap's house. Um, and it's a small home. I have uh, four to five guys there because we don't normally live with 20, 30, well, 15 to 60 people in a home. So they've already gone through their 28 or 30 days. Um, and uh, let me back up for me. I originally started out as doing it as a veteran because, um, my brother, uh, my adopted brother, and then my birth brother were both veterans are, and, and so, um, one has some challenges, um, and the other told me of his struggles, you know, in, in the, uh, Marines, one was in the army. And so I decided I would do this, um, in honor of the veterans. And, um, so I called their forever home on the other side of caps because I don't put a time limit on it. This is your forever home as long as you're following the program and you stay clean. Um, because my goal is to teach you how you're supposed to live when you're clean. Uh, maybe four or five people in a household, but you do your day-to-day -day things. You cook, you take your bath, you do whatever you do um, drug-free. Uh, you take care of the yard. And I don't take government funding. It, they, it's a self-pay because you have to work. You know, a little biblical in there, man doesn't work, man doesn't eat. Um, even if they have benefits, um, they need to volunteer or do something somewhere. And so, you know, I've had um, one gentleman has graduated after over a year and he is now a um, mentor for other people in the court system. Uh, so the majority of my referrals come from the vet court. Now, every now and then I'll have one or two that are not veterans, um, but you have to have a certain demeanor and you have to be able to be a fit in that house. Um, and so they are required to go to groups outside of the house, a minimum of two. You can go to as many as you want, but the minimum is two. And then on every Tuesday evening, they have group with me. And so in that, we talk about the mind mindfulness and how to calm yourself down this past Tuesday we talked about forgiveness what does that look like and then you know there's all kind of uh meditation music on the YouTube you can find 
So we do the forget. Uh, there was one for forgiveness on there. So we did that. And I did a guided reading on forgiveness. And um, again, with them, get that core breathing, you know, start here. And then I would say, okay, and we're going to go to the, below the breastbone. And now the next time we're going to the core of the stomach, I need you to get that in there. I need you to feel that. And now I want you to let all that go away. And so we do that. And um, so, you know, the judge says, um, you know, thank you for what you've done at Cap's house. And I said, sir, I only created this house. The guys came there. They did it for themselves, you know, um, and that's the goal is for them to see that you can do it. And we love and support you here. And uh, we're here to help you however to get through it. So um, have one gentleman now, another one, he'll be there over a year. Um, he said, this is going to be my second winter with you. I said, I know. And so it's exciting for me. Um, it's exciting for them. He has a job. Um, he has a very good job, skills that he had, but he wasn't using them anymore because of his alcoholism. He just got promoted to supervisor on his job. Um, so, and he, when he came to tell the, us in the group, he cried. It was an accomplishment he had never done. Something he wanted, but he never had never done. And so um, I just love that part of it, um, being able to let people see. Because I, I say, you were created to be something, to do something on this earth, and it was not what you're doing. So let's find that. And when you find that, you have found you. What a quote. What a quote. <laughs> I would, you've talked about mindfulness in another, in, in a number of scenarios. I would love to hear how you define mindfulness just in layman's terms or how you, how you define it yourself. Um, it's an opportunity when you're stressed, um, when your anxieties are creeping up on you. Um, as I tell the little kids, when mom has just got on your last nerve and you don't know what to do, um, are before you go in the house from that job and you take all of that in there, just do a moment of mindfulness. It, it, it's relaxation. It's a, it's an opportunity to let go of what the world or other things or other people have done to you, and for that day or that moment or that space, and let it go. It's not that serious, but sometimes we get hung up in it and we don't know how to let it go, and we we think inside, my God, how can I? I don't want to feel like this, and that's been me as a youth, I don't want to feel like that. Um, but now I know how to let it go. And that's what mindfulness does. It, you can get all of this out of here. You can find a place in the <laughs> elements to let it go when you breathe out, you know? Um, and it's, it's, um, I'm, I believe in it so much. I have a sign in my house that says, breathe in, breathe out, repeat. I have another sign that I take with me. It says, just breathe. I believe in it wholeheartedly. And, um, I cannot live, believe I lived my life this long without knowing about it, but hey, that was my good part out of COVID, I guess. <laughs> That's a perfect segue. I, I always like to hear about my guest's journey to mindfulness. It sounds like it was perhaps some curiosity around uh, the COVID time and wanting to learn more. Is mm -hmm. that kind of how it all began? It sounds like you probably had some of those skills beforehand. That seems to be a common theme in my guesses. 
oh, I've actually been doing parts of this for a long time, but I just didn't label it. Absolutely. But, but tell me a little bit more, um, and maybe it's as simple as that, but I'm curious about your path to mindfulness. It, well, as I said, I, I was trying to figure do something else uh, during COVID and I'm searching on the internet. And like I said, John Cabot Zinn came up on there and I'd heard about him throughout, you know, life and read various things, but, and Dalai Lama and all of that, and, but not put that much emphasis or thought process in it. I always thought that, um, the Dalai Lama, he, you know, he looked so peaceful when he was doing it and everything, but I didn't take the time to learn it and all of that, but I love to watch him do it and all of that. And it was kind of, mm, you know, you got to do it. And I was like, so I'm not going to do that. You know, that was kind of, um, not inviting for people, you know, I'm not doing that. And even still now, when you say, let's do some mindfulness, the first thing they think is I got to sit on the floor with my legs crossed and I got to do this and I got to, mm, and I got to chant. And I said, no, 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 no. Um, and so the other part that uh, COVID gave for me, because uh, the training time was, I think eight weeks. Um, and um, I remember one training was all day. And so if I had been going to a job, I wouldn't have been able to do these things or do them successfully. I might've started them, but not completed them um, because my job would have had other um, obligations. So COVID gave me that. And so I could lock myself in my office space and, and do all of the tasks. And each one um, took me just a little bit closer to the love of it um, and learning all the various ways people think it's just uh, the breathing. There's mindfulness for eating. There's mindfulness for sleeping, you know, and the gamut goes on and on for mindfulness. So um, I was like, wow, my balloon was getting bigger and bigger as I was learning this. And I wanted to give it to more people. And I was thinking, this is, you know, this will work for so-and-so and this will work for so-and-so that I work with. And um, I couldn't wait till I could get to them to give this to them. I believe we took the same training. Sounds like we had different teachers mm -hmm. from our previous conversation, but I loved mindfulness-based stress reduction Absolutely. Um, developed by, by John Kabat-Zinn. I too kept thinking, well, mindfulness is sitting on some sort of cushion that may or may not be comfortable. <laughs> and there's probably some sort of um sound going on. And I don't know if I'm here for all of that. Absolutely. It was surprising. You know, there were even things uh, such as uh, a mindful walking meditation, which mm -hmm. I don't know about you, but this girl right here, I am a fast walker. I like to just get places, get things done. Ah. And so mindfulness, it didn't really necessarily come easily to me because mm. I'm not a naturally placid human being. I'm, I'm very type A, a very go, 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 go. And oh, it yeah, was, no. it, it was, uh, it was a slowing down it was a it, challenge for you. Yeah. I described it that especially towards the beginning, but definitely on that day long training, <laughs> I felt like I was going, I wanted to crawl out of my skin. You it did. felt so uncomfortable to sit there. I mean, how is the world continuing to spin without me doing all <laughs> these things, right? You know, right, right. business yeah. and mom and wife and all, all these things that, you know, just felt like there were a lot of balls in the air that I needed to keep going. And it felt very unnerving not to be doing something to support all of that. All of that. Yeah. You couldn't let it go. You couldn't let it be in its space. No, it was hard. It was really hard. But the beautiful thing was the world did keep spinning. 
it was amazing. When I came back, I was happier. Everybody else probably more peaceful. I don't know. Absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) It worked out. It worked out. I am wondering if you would tell us a little bit about your morning routine or just your mindfulness routine in general. I'm a I'm super interested in how people start their days, but sometimes folks have more of an evening or an afternoon routine, but tell us a little bit about your routines. Well, I, in the mornings, um, certainly after I'm, I'm a chaplain as well, but, and so in regardless of that, my religion, I thank the Lord that my blood is still running warm in my bones, in my body. Um, and then uh, just being able to get that first good breath. Now I will say that, um, I am self-diagnosed what I call sad seasonal affecto disorder. I'm a sun person and I keep, my son's not out there. And I, so I really have to do the mindfulness before I hit the floor in the mornings when there is no sun, the sun, I'm, I'm okay. I'm ready to go. And I can do, I'll do it um, in the interim of getting ready. But I, once I get out this door, I know it's rush, 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 but I'm doing mindfulness all day long, someplace in one, in some part of my jobs, but for myself personally, I do it. And I'm just so thankful for the breath that I can get through my body. Um, and as I tell people, we, we say, ah, breathe. I don't know what she's talking about, but we surface breathe. We're just in and out until we can't. And being a two-time breast cancer survivor and going through a lot of, um, surgeries. Um, I understand struggling for that breath. Um, so to have that ability to be able to go that deep and get that breath and to open that up and to calm myself down, um, in the morning before my journey starts, I have a little dog and, um, it's a shih tzu. She's 14, but she thinks she's my boss. I'm surprised she hasn't barked yet. And so she gets very demanding in the morning what she wants. So I have to just kind of chill myself out before I come deal with her. I'm not going to say her name because she's sleeping somewhere right now. Um, But so I do that for myself. I do that uh, when I find myself getting behind. I start feeling anxious because I come and get on this computer in the morning and then I get lost in it. And then I said, I got to get out of here. And so now I'm rushing. I got to slow myself down internally um, or getting in it. I do it when I'm driving, really do it when I'm driving um, because people drive all kinds of ways and you have to calm yourself down and you certainly can't blow your horn like you used to. So you need to learn how to breathe through that moment and let people do what they do. Um, and then when I get where I'm going, I have to do that before I go in there to talk to them about mindfulness. So I'm kind of doing it all day long in the course of my work. Um, when I'm doing assessments with individuals and I'm asking them a question and <laughs> they're going way off with the answer and I need to give them that space and time to answer that. But kind of in that moment, my heart is kind of going, okay, come on, come on, come on, come on. But I breathe through it we get through it or if, if people come and it's an anxious moment for them and they're hollering or whatever well let's breathe through this let's do this together we can do this together so I'm kind of doing it all day long in my work life um that's where I begin in the morning um before I get my coffee before I get to running I, I do my breathing and just being thankful for this day and get my day going I'm, through, I'm just doing it all day long I really am I, I hear a common theme amongst my guests and, and folks I've spoken to about morning routines, 
about starting the day with gratefulness. And I, I remember probably 10 or 15 years ago hearing about, um, there was a man part of the church I was part of at the time that he would get up in the morning. I think he was out on a mission field at the, at the time that he was with someone that reported back to me what he saw this man do in the morning is he would stretch out wide and he would start his day just thanking God for being alive mm-hmm. and being grateful for the things in his life that he was blessed with. And I thought, wow, what a beautiful orientation first thing in the morning to recognize not everybody gets to wake up today. They don't, you know, they don't, they don't. And we're here for a reason and we're breathing. Like, I love how you said it, you know, the blood is still warm in my body and that's something to be thankful for because it can be, I mean, the mind can really fill up with, Oh, this hurts. Oh, I got this going on. Oh, I really want to sleep a little bit longer. It, it can, that mind can get going first thing mm-hmm. down that negative track if you oh, let yeah. it. Um, but I love this concept of recognizing when a thought starts going down that direction, grabbing it, acknowledging it, and asking the mind to go back for a better thought. I know you can do better. You know, Mm -hmm. I recognize all this stuff. I hear you. I'm not (laughs) discounting it. It is early. The sun's not up anymore because we're in Indiana and this is what happens. You know, it gets dark around this time. But I love that. I love going back for better thoughts and being thankful. Absolutely. Um, And we should be thankful for every day. Like you said, you know, somebody didn't get up this morning. Um, and so I took, <laughs> I have a job right now that um, I go every morning, not every morning, I go once a week and meet the school bus. And I have to be there at seven o'clock in the morning. And so as when I'm driving some mornings, I think, why did I say that? I would take this. It's seven o'clock in the morning. There's no snow out here now. I leave now at 6.15 to get there at seven. Oh my God, when snow's going. So I have to say, Laura, stop brief through it. You'll get through it. And so I get there and I wait for the bus and um, I do two classes of mindfulness for the youth to get them calm. And, and th- But not just the mindfulness, we talk about anxiety, we talk about fear and where do we place that at? Um, and sometimes some of the responses that we give out causes someone else to respond. And so um, how can we do that better? How can we be a better person today? And if you find yourself getting upset and frustrated, how can we breathe through this moment? And so, and what I, I don't necessarily share it with the, the students, but I share it with the teachers and I share it with parents. Um, children um, have no safe place. They worry about being safe at home now. Flying bullets, we've heard that on the news, have come through the walls, the the windows. Um, They have to go to the bus stop. They're not safe on the bus stop. They're not safe on the bus. And they're not safe at, at, at school. And I can remember when I was in school, they used to have a placard on the outside of the wall of the school that says safe place. There is none up there. I don't know if anyone else other than me noticed it, but I don't see it anymore because school is not a safe place either. So where is their safe place? They have none. So they live in this fight or flight all the time. So can you imagine being that ball, that just that tied up that tight and not know how to let this go 
as a, a small individual um, because my parent doesn't know how to let it go. So I just live like this. So I love to be able to help them learn how to breathe through it and let it go um, because they're our next hope for our country, for our world. And we have to teach them small how to do this. I've taught little kids and they have told, you know, their mom would get upset, be so cute. And they would say, mom, just breathe. And that's just so funny. Mom, just breathe. Um, But sometimes you have to give it to the kids to take back home if the parents aren't receiving it from you and they'll receive it sometimes better from the children than they will from the instructor. And so I love to give that. And I hope that in me being able to do that, that I'm helped creating a better world because we all live in this mass ball of confusion um, and we choose not to talk um, with each other. Um, I, I volunteer for Conflict Resolution Center here in Indianapolis. A lot of people don't know we have that yet, but conflict comes because we all want the same thing, but we're going about it the wrong way. And we yet we won't talk about, you know, I won't call Amy and say, Amy, your trash can is in my way every week. Would you please bring it in? Would you or just move it out of the way? But yet and still, you would rather make that argument until bad things happen. So that's what the Conflict Resolution Center is for. And then I even tell them in Conflict Resolution, let's breathe, let's breathe. Let's take some breaths first. Let's breathe. Everybody's come in. They're anxious. You know, I got to get my part out before he or she gets their part out. No, nope. we're going to breathe first. We're going to just take it few breaths and get through this one. And I do it for um, in, uh, retreats, um, people that work in stressful uh, situations and um, they work with John Q. Public and uh, John Q. Public wants their way, their way. And you know, you can only do it this way. And so helping them learn how to let it go and breathe through that moment, even while they're talking to them and just let them go on. You find your safe space and breathe through it like you're weaving mindfulness in all the corners of your life. And that's, that's a blessing, I'm sure, to all those who are part of your life. I'm wondering if you could tell me about an instance when mindfulness has helped a kid or a family or someone who um, has struggled with addiction or might be in the recovery house. Mm-hmm. Give me one instance. I have a couple, I have a couple that's really dear to me, but um, I think when I first realized that um, this was so beneficial for individuals in recovery, I go to a recovery house um, every 28 days. Um, That's their time limit there, but I go and I do mindfulness. Um, Some of them are at the end of their time. Some of them is their first day or whatever, but so we do, um, I take them through the Garden of Forgiveness. There's a, a, a guided meditation script for the Garden of Forgiveness. And I play music and I tell them that I need you to be in this space. This is you. I'm going to read this. This is you. And I want you to walk through this garden. And when we get to the end of this garden, you will have instructions of how to let this go. And so um, I think that's my most favorite one that I do with them. Um, a gentleman came up to me and said, I've been in treatment many times. And this is the first time I've had this. And this is the first time that I've been able to let this go. So my use of drugs hurt a lot of people and it hurt me. 
And I think some people died from me selling drugs. And he said, but I met them in the garden of forgiveness. That always tears me up when I tell this part. And I met them in the garden of forgiveness and they forgave me. And he said, I think I could, I can do this journey this time. And I thought to myself, wow, that's what I'm doing this for. That, that is, that is really what I'm doing this for. Um, and so I just, I love it. Um, to do it. I love it to give to individuals um, to help them see, help them move on in life. I had a little boy, um, his, he was, um, I guess on the spectrum, but he was very adamant in his conversation, just right at it. You know, if, if, if he didn't like you, he didn't like you. If he liked you, he liked you or whatever. But um, his parents um, hired me to come and work with him. And um, because he didn't have friends at school, um, people just couldn't, the kids just couldn't get along with him. And um, he, he was very intelligent, very intelligent. So the way he spoke and the way he talked sometimes was a little bit above them. So versus them saying, I didn't understand what you said, or, you know, to seek out more of him, um, they were either make fun of him, but they, no one really was his friend. So I uh, would go over every every evening, and so we would do a little bit of mindfulness, but I have to do it different. I, well, I have to learn my kids, and I have to find out what's going on with them, and we did a little different, and uh, he's a little girl came one day. We were outside, and she um, had found a dog, and she was walking through the neighborhood and asking if this is your dog, so she says, excuse me, is this your dog? So he says, do I look like I have a dog? And... <laughs> So the little girl hurt her feelings. So we talked about that. And I said, look at her. I said, you hurt her feelings. How else could we have said that? And so we we did those things. And um, there's some kids mindfulness books out. And so I would get some of those. And, and we learned about outside. We would take walks, but we take slow walks. We'd listen for the birds. Um, we would look in the grass. There's one that had us look for ants and things in the grass. Um, and then even about the hair on your arm, to feel the hair on your arm. And so he would say, am I kind? And I said, yes, you are. But we just have to develop that. And one day you're going to discover what a kind person you are. It's all right in here. We just got to bring it out. And so one day I get to the house and I open the door and this Laura, Miss Laura. And I thought, oh gosh, what did he do? And so he says, guess what? Guess what? And I said, what? He said, I got a kindness award today. I said, you did? He said, yes. I said, oh my gosh, how did you do that? He said, I was really kind. And I helped a little boy they couldn't see to the water fountain. I said, that is kind. I told you, you were kind all along. So sometimes it's just showing people what it is and bringing it out of them and how the things are. And he would, he didn't mean it intentionally, but that's just the way he talked. He was pretty athletic. Do I look like I have a dog? You know, <laughs> but when he discovered he, he had kindness in him, it was all on then. It was everything. It was, and he would want, was that kind? That was very kind. That was very kind. Yeah. So I, I, I don't know if it's the children or the uh, substance abuse, but I love doing it all. I love doing it all. And I especially love when they realize it for themselves. I'm curious what one of your favorite mindfulness activities is. 
Jeez. Um, like I said, I, I love doing the garden of forgiveness, um, with, um, the, um, individuals at the recovery house. Um, then I also like giving yourself love and kindness because we don't, we don't do that like we should. Um, and there, but, uh, there's a mantra that I love at the end and it says, um, we, we do it. Um, we think about people that maybe we mm, don't like so well. And we say, um, we ask may, um, may you be, um, oh, look, because I was thinking of something else, my mind just left me. <laughs> may you find happiness. May you um, live in peace. May you, I'm telling you wrong now. Why? Because my mind is gone. I'm so sorry. I just forgot the thing. Um, it'll come back to me in a minute, but um, so at the end, that is the mantra that um, I think really gets it for people. I try to end it in that versus just, okay, come on back to the room sometimes. Um, uh, John Cabbage Zen has a lot of nice mantras. And um, uh, I, man, my mind, look, we're talking about mine, aren't we? And it's, mine is gone. May you live with peace. Oh, May you live with ease. May I be happy. Help May, right. Yes. So the first yeah, one you yes. offer it to and someone, peace. the okay. second one you offer it to yourself. Okay. Yeah. yeah so um, that. that blessing is lovely. I'm wondering if you would lead us in a mindfulness practice, whether it's one of your favorite ones or one that's kind of just working for you right now. Yeah. Um, Giving yourself love and kindness um, is a good one. Is it? I think I have most of it memorized. Like I said, I do the guided, so I'm usually kind of reading them as I'm doing them. Um, so yeah, so I gen generally I ask people, individuals, to get comfortable in however you're setting, whatever is comfortable for you. If it's on the floor, or if it's in the chair, but I just need you to be comfortable in it. I like for you to place your feet flat on the floor if you have your legs crossed uncross your legs um, and just, you know, find a comfortable place to put your hands. This is all about you. I tell individuals because you've heard people say, stop being selfish. This is the opportunity to be selfish. Just make this all about you. And so once you find that comfortable place and you close your eyes, if you want, if you feel comfortable with that, if not, you can keep them open. Um, and so before we begin, we'll first, we're just going to take a, a nice gentle breath to just kind of calm ourselves and center us here. So let's take a deep breath in. We're going to hold it for a count of three. One, two, and three. Gently exhale. Let's begin by lightly controlling our mind to your own good qualities. Let these qualities remind you of what's good in you, what touches your heart about yourself. The gentle offer this classic wishes of loving kindness to yourself, choosing phrases that best speak to your heart. We take a deep breath in here, hold it, exhale on three, one, two, three. 
repeat after me. May I feel safe and protected. May I feel safe and protected. May I feel happy and peaceful. May I feel happy and peaceful. May I feel healthy and strong. May I feel healthy and strong. May I live with ease. May I live with ease. Let's take another deep breath in. Hold it for three. One, two, three. Gently exhale. See yourself as being a dear friend to yourself. Join me back in the room. I love that. No one's led us in something like that before. Thank you for doing that, Laura. Yeah. We we think about others, but we very rarely give ourselves enough thought. And so we need to love and give ourselves. And we get that for ourselves, we can give it to others. Um, I'm a firm believer in that. Um, I am wondering what are some of the mindfulness activities that you teach to the kids. We're going to talk a little bit about your work here. Um, I'm, I'm curious about some of the mindfulness activities you teach the kids, but also those in the recovery home. Yeah. So um, with the kids, I have to kind of be creative. Um, I have one class that has um, youth that have some disabilities. So I have to be creative because they're not going to sit still. Um, they think, oh, this is boring or this is stupid or whatever. So I have to do it a creative way. So we do coloring and um, we, I find that they get quiet when they're coloring. And so I have, um, from where I used to teach um, uh, mental, uh, I used to teach um, suicide prevention to youth. Um, a lot of times um, kids like to doodle and color. And even though you might think they're not paying attention, but they really are, but they're calming themselves down with this coloring stuff. So I have a lot of coloring sheets. So they like to color. And so while they're doing that, I play the mindfulness music. Um, and, um, they, they'll do the breathing a little bit here and there, uh, not really knowing that they're doing it. Um, but if I just try to have to sit there and do it, they're not going to do it. <laughs> and so they're busy, they're doing everything else. So I do that. Um, I have one young man, he does not like the music. Um, so he has to have his own music. And so we do, um, a lot of times I do the upper yoga to stretch them out, to get people going. I do that with my seniors. We do this. So he has a song. <laughs> it's called Computer Love. And he loves computer love, but he will get to doing his shoulders and he's working himself out. And I said, no, I say, well, okay, let's take a breath now. And so it's it's working, finding whatever works for them. Um, because if it's, if, it's taking them out of their comfort zone. They're not going to do it and they're not going to remember it. And um, if he's, if he or she starts to yell and uh, say, okay, so what can we do right here? Or uh, that's not appropriate response. So how else can we respond? Or do we even have to respond? Cause I have my big chart, um, what I can control and what I can't control. And they love that. And I say, okay, look at the head. Where are we? Are we in the, I can control it. I cannot. And so um, that's a little bit different, I guess, in, in the mindfulness, but I, I feel like it's still um, in the agenda of mindfulness because it's teaching them the way that they understand it and, and will retain it. It's awareness. I, that's mm -hmm. huge for kids and mm -hmm. adults too, but it's awareness. Yes. Yes. Um, and so then at my recovery house, 
Um, there's a there's mindfulness, there's guided mindfulness for drug addiction. Um, and so we do that like last week we just did forgiveness and we and so I don't do my um my uh recovery sessions as they do when they go for the big book and all the other things. I do a little different. Uh, I ask them, let's talk about how you got to where you were today, because no one just wakes up and says, you know what, I'm gonna be a drug addict today or I'm gonna be an alcoholic. There's a journey to get to that. And there's steps that happened in your life. So we need to back walk those steps. And you have to understand how you got to today in order to unravel this. So that's what I do with them. So we do mindfulness with that. And we talk about forgiveness because a lot of times the family or the household is where it came from. It wasn't that someone on the street introduced them. So being able to forgive that parent or that sibling or whoever did it or however. And I, I remind them that sometimes people can only give you what was given to them. And this is sometimes transgenerational trauma. And so we have somewhere in there, we've got to break this transitional trauma. So let us start with you. And we talk about that and how you got here. And sometimes it's tearful for them to realize that my mom, my mom offered me that first beer or that alcohol or my mom and my dad, that's the way they lived all of their life. So I thought it was okay. I thought it was right but I got stuck in it and I couldn't function and I couldn't get out of it. So, um, and I, and I do that and I understand that because my grandfather was an alcoholic. This is my birth family. My grandfather was an alcoholic. Um, there was many alcoholics in my birth family and I couldn't understand how come you just can't stop, you know, why can't you just stop? Um, so I, my interest, uh, was peaked in that. So I learned more about that. And I think that's why I, uh, went this way with my recovery house. Um, I couldn't help them then because I didn't have the knowledge, um, the skills, nor the ability to do it, but God has blessed me with that. And so this is my way of helping, helping them. Those they have passed on, but this is my way of helping them through that. And I share that with them. Um, I, uh, I said, I'm not an alcoholic, never have been, never have been a drug addict. I married a man that I loved dearly, became a drug addict in the seventies. Couldn't kick it. He went to recovery house, recovery house. He couldn't kick it. I didn't have these skills. I didn't know how to do that. We ended up divorcing, but we stayed friends. Um, he has passed, but he passed as a, a drug addict. He just could never kick it. Um, as they say, he could just never get over it. And so I think a combination of all that is me trying to heal, help them heal and get through it. I see that now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm going to ask you a question I've not asked anybody else on the show. Mm -hmm. Oh, and, okay. Uh, yes. Which is what is one big dream of yours? One big dream. I would love to have five or 10 cap houses, small cap houses, um, and um, continue this journey to help people find themselves. I would love to share at this point how people can um, learn more about the work that you're doing, where can they find more about 
beautiful minds or, or how did they even get connected to, to Cap's house? Yeah. So um, my website is under construction. Um, I think I have two pages left on it right now, but I have someone working on it, but um, www.beautifulminds, which is all one word, but it ends with a Z on minds. Okay, so it's um, www.beautifulminds with a Z at the end, uh-huh. dot uh, dash LLC. Um, and then uh, my, of course, then my email is um, beautifulminds0415 at yahoo.com. So they can reach me through there for either um, to come do maybe uh, some meditations and mindfulness or to ask about Cap's House. Um, I don't really have a website for Caps House at this point. As I said, most of my referrals come through the VA. So I don't, I take that back. One of the guys did make a webpage, which is very beautiful. He talks about his time there and he takes pictures and shows. It's very nice, but I don't know how, it's not a regular website, so I don't know how to post it. So, um, so that he says it that would be a good thing, but um, because it's such a small house and I only have one house, um, and it's a forever home, they don't leave if they don't want to, um, and if they stay and clean and doing the program, they don't have to. So I don't really create a waiting list because they they may not leave. You know, like I said, I have one that he's there over. Uh, this is coming up his second winter with me, as he calls it, um, and so um, I don't really, but. Th- feel free to call and inquire, um, about it. Um, and was your, your domain, your, your website, does it have a .com or .org at the end? .com. .com. Yeah. But it has a dash LLC. So it's www.beautifulminds with a Z dash LLC .com. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now we've got that. Um, you can learn more there or get in touch with her via email to, have some mindfulness training brought to schools or corporate uh, scenarios um, or to learn more about CAPS home. But the individuals, I do, you know, just individuals. Yeah. Um, Excellent. Excellent. Um, I'm wondering how do most folks find out about your recovery house? I can't remember if you mentioned that. Um, through uh well the vets court um okay and um then kind of word of mouth uh <laughs> well and so then I go to recovery houses and I do the um mindfulness and so they want sometimes they'll say well how do you know about and I'll say well I have a recovery house um from the from social workers as well um and um, when they go, well, the judge talks about it at, at court. I was at court today. They have court every Friday. And um, so um, the judge thanks me for Cap's house because I kind of get the people that um, haven't been very successful um, and um, they become successful at the house. I don't do it, but they've become successful. So I have some people that their journey through this has been very, very hard. Um, like today and I was there and, um, the judge says, you're at Cap's house. Look at you, you, you know? And so this gentleman, this, he's been, uh, an alcoholic for almost 30 years. He has three months clean. And for some people, three months doesn't, yeah, just three months. That's a whirlwind for him. Three months. Well, congratulations for 
helping and being part of that. I know that you like to say that folks really do the work themselves, but you are certainly a guide, a catalyst, if you will, and you provide the environment where folks can thrive. That's so right. I think that's wonderful. That's right. As we near the end of our conversation, I would love to invite you to do the glowy daily reflection practice. If I could lead you through that, I would love to hear what you have to say. Oh, okay. All right. Yes. All right. So the glowy daily reflection practice is an original practice that I developed and I placed it in my book, The Chaos Antidote, A Fable About Mindfulness, as well as its companion workbook. And GLOWY is an acronym. Uh, the G stands for grateful. You get to share something or a few things that you're grateful for. The L is for lift up. These are things that need resources, time, money, whatever it might be for us or for other people. The O is for observe. We know that mindfulness is big and observation, that awareness component, maybe something Maybe, maybe your shirt collar is a little bit itchy, or maybe, you know, you're just feeling good today. You just notice your heart is light, whatever it might be there. The W is for wholesome intention, also very critical and central in mindfulness practices. Setting an intention mm -hmm. is really important. Mm -hmm. And the last one is why you are. And the why stands for you are in that you get to give yourself a little bit of self-love like we were working on earlier. Mm -hmm. We get to affirm ourselves before we head out into our next moments. So Absolutely. we'll start back at G. Tell us something you're grateful for. Oh, I am grateful that I have learned um, not only how to love myself, but to give it to others. I see that. The L is for lift up. What is something you would like to lift up? Um, lift up all everyone that's downtrodden, everyone that's feeling sad. Um, I hope I have a word. Um, I hope uh, my voice, a lot of people tell me my voice calms them. Um, I just, I hope I am, can be that person for them. The observe. The O for observe. What is the thing that you observe? Um, I love to observe people's behaviors and their reactions and um, just to learn um, what it is that uh, makes people tick. And then I try to create my mindfulness or my time with them around the observation that I've learned of them. So in this interview, you've observed what? Amy. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and yes, and I just what I get from you is such a it's a fun loving person, but then serious. You can be serious. Um very um dedicated to whatever it is you're doing and a kind heart. Oh, well, this took an unexpected turn. <laughs> We've not done that part before. You you took it way deeper than what I had even anticipated. So thank you for that. That's very kind. The W stands for wholesome intention. So I want to hear what is your wholesome intention, Laura? Uh, my wholesome intention, it just keeps going back to being loving. 
Um, that's all I can come up with that. My wholesome intention. A clean heart and being loving. And the last one is that self-love for yourself. You let it, you let us in a practice of self-love. You just gave me some positive affirmation. Now you get to do it for yourself. Laura, you are. Um, Laura, you are Laura. Um, and there is no one like you. And you should uh, embrace that and celebrate that and love her for who she is. Thank you so much, Laura. This has been a beautiful conversation. Um, I will reiterate what other folks tell you. Your voice is very calm. In fact, oh. before we even got started, we're having all kinds of technical issues and you let us in a, a quiet practice before we even flipped on the cameras and <laughs> it just changed the atmosphere. And I'm so glad oh, we did that. Your voice is very calm. It is another part of your your tool belt is you've been gifted Thank with a very you. calm voice and a very kind heart. Thank you for the work that you do to help children and the homeless and our veterans, um, helping folks in all walks of life, wherever they are and helping them pull themselves up and live to their full potential. That is um, a beautiful gift. And I thank you for thank sharing you. it with the world. Thank you. Thank you for what you do. Thank you as well. Read your bio. So <laughs> Thank you so you're much. doing some wonderful things as well so it's two of us so let's keep gathering more and more and pretty soon we'll just have the whole universe <laughs> i love it let's do it <laughs> well from my heart to yours may you live with ease this is your host amy morgan Maybe. signing off <laughs>